Hi guys! Hi guys! Welcome well, to Kawai Cast. Welcome to this week's episode. I am Candace. I am Tyler. Yeah. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. If not, still welcome. Yes. Thanks so, for joining us. Yeah, we did take a little bit of a hiatus last week. Uh, again, unexpected. If you guys follow me on the Twitter, I did explain it there a little bit. We had a couple problems with our syncing on previous episodes, and we were not happy with the quality that we were releasing those as. And I know for people that go back and listen to older episodes, there's nothing worse than a podcast that just says who cares and moves on. Well, so, fuck it. Yeah, so we wanted to fix those, get you guys the quality that we would want out of a podcast. And yeah, so we apologize for that. Uh, hopefully you guys kept yourself entertained for that week. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, right. so hopefully by the time this episode releases, both of those past episodes will be fixed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm still working on one, but uh, it should, hopefully. Someday we <laughs> will have a real editor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Someday. Who knows? Someday. Yeah. So we are going to go ahead and start with our news segment which there was a lot of there was a lot of news so last week or last time we recorded there was no news we had nothing to say and then the day that that episode went out one of the biggest anime news things ever dropped and it was like why why did you have to drop this today and that was of course the announcement that Inuyasha is getting a sequel uh yeah I must have missed that how I don't know. Like, I saw everyone talking about Inuyasha again, and I was just like, oh, I wonder if they're bringing it to Netflix or something. No. (laughs) No, they are bringing it back. They are going full Baruto on Inuyasha. Oh my goodness. Are they going to follow the the story of Inuyasha's child? Yeah, his daughter. And, oh my! Yeah, and Shishomaru's kids, who are twins. Uh, are they gonna be as big a dicks as Shishomaru? Who knows? But this has spread one of the most popular memes since it came out, which is "Who fucked Shishomaru?" Uh, I. I, <laughs> I don't think it's so much who fucked him as who let him fuck them (laughs) well the biggest fear right now is that it was the little girl that he was traveling with oh god yeah and everybody's like we are not down with this please do not let that be the case so Uh, yeah yeah let's let's hope that's not it yeah so (laughs) But Inuyasha's back! Yay! Yay! <laughs> I, I actually liked Inuyasha a lot, so I don't remember anything about it, because that was forever ago. I but... liked what I saw of it, but I didn't see much, mm-hmm. and it's been so long now that I have forgotten everything, so... Yeah, I used to be really, really, really invested in Inuyasha. Like, for me, that was, like, one of the first anime that... You, really you used kind to of... have a Seshomaru body pillow? No, but... Um, my friend was the one with a crush on Seshomaru. But... 
For me, Inuyasha was like one of the first anime that came out that was like completely unfiltered. Like there was uncensored anime at that time, but a lot of it was really catered to Western audiences or they kind of cherry pick shows that could be appealing to Western audiences. Things like Sailor Moon, Dragon Ball Z were both like, these don't have to be Japanese characters or things like Cowboy Bebop, which is a Western or Outlaw Star, which is a Western. Like Inuyasha and Roroni Kenshin were really the first two that were like, these are Japanese. But we got the censored version of Roroni Kenshin as opposed to the uncensored version of Inuyasha. Mm-hmm. So because of that, Inuyasha kind of won out in the popularity. But also just because it was a lot easier for people to relate to it. And it was easier to understand the cultural stuff from it because it was kind of spoon-fed to us as opposed to Kenshin where you kind of had to know Japanese history to get into it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, did it, it like you said it did have less censoring so you know no uh no donuts. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I I think that's why Inuyasha was such a big deal and that's why it's such a big deal now. But we're we're getting we're getting our babies. Getting getting more. The babies have babies now. Babies on babies on babies. Don't ever say that again. <laughs> Yeah, I regretted it the instant it came out of my mouth. So, uh, next piece of anime news. I have already forgotten what it is. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Smooth. Oh, I remember. Well, I'm not even caught up on the big news, so apparently my news can't be trusted. Apparently. Uh, I remember what it was, though. Kind of following the nostalgia thing of Inuyasha, uh, Twitter now has a new popular art challenge called the Sailor Moon Redraw oh, Challenge. The, the, the Redraw Sailor Moon Challenge. I know Yes. This. this one is ridiculously popular, and I'm loving all of the art coming out of it so much that if you guys go to our Twitter today, there is, in fact, my take on the Sailor Moon Redraw. Ah, yes. Did and you just is... do the one, or did you do more? I just did the one. Maybe I'll do more in the future, but... Okay. Yeah, it depends on the response I get. Like, I don't want to draw too many of it and not have anybody care, so... So, yeah, make sure you guys go check that out. That is just up on the Twitter, and I will have that up today. As well as... Maybe not today, but I do have other art in the work right now, so... I have been showing that off in in the Facebook group. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Oh, I have one piece of, yes, uh, go ahead. of news. Uh, Card Captors Sakura is coming to Netflix. More nostalgia. More nostalgia. Yeah, they are like feeding this to us. Right? Yeah. They know what we want. And that's actually pretty exciting because it is on Crunchyroll right now. Mm-hmm. The Crunchyroll version is the original Japanese version, so I'm wondering, since the dub was the four kids censored version, if that's the version we're getting on Netflix or if we're getting the original Japanese version. Uh, I'm I'm wondering if they're gonna do like the four kids dub or if they're gonna like do their own dub for it and call it a Netflix original. That's true. They could be doing that. Because, yeah, the 4Kids version was vastly different. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, they really, really tried to make us believe that uh, her brother was not dating the one guy. <laughs> I mean, as a kid, I was an idiot and believed it. Oh, I knew they were dating as a kid. I was like... I, I didn't that, even think about it. I was just like, that, oh, they're boyfriends. That that Sailor Moon, though, one. Uh, who was it? Sailor Mars and... Uh, no, uh, it was Neptune and Uranus. Neptune and Uranus. That one didn't fool me. I was like, <laughs> okay, yeah. They fucking... <laughs> Cousins. Yeah. <laughs> they also took out the fact that uh, Sakura had a crush on uh, her, boy- or her brother's boyfriend as well. In the four kids version. Did they? Because I specifically remember her having the crush on him. She was still really close to him, but they took out, like, the actual romant- or romantic implications. Like, uh, in the original version, she gives him, like, a Christmas gift. In the uh, English version, they did not because of the romantic implications with it. They also took out the fact that her classmate her and fr- friend yeah, like, had a crush on the teacher. Had a crush on- yeah. Yeah, which was mutual. So. That's a little disturbing. <laughs> yeah. So, lots and lots of changes. So, they might be redubbing it. Who knows? I, I guess we'll find out come uh, the first of next month, right? I, I think, think so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one, or I have two more pieces of news. Uh, one being that, speaking of Netflix, Avatar The Last Airbender is now back on Netflix. Oh, yes. So I that know, was a really I have big been, deal. Uh, binging through that. Yeah, and I don't care if you guys don't consider that an anime. It's still a really big deal to the anime community. So I felt the need to include that because it hasn't been on Netflix for like years now. It's, like, it's been a long time. So yeah, they yeah. they've got the rights to it again. That's awesome. And then the last piece of news, and this is probably the smallest one, but it was a big deal for me. Uh, last Tuesday, Promare officially released on Blu-ray and. DVD, so you can now get a physical copy of it. Aw, uh, yes. Yes. So the digital one has been available for a little over a month now, but if you are like me and like having physical copies, go get it. I also got a discount on it, which was really cool. So. Alright. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. Unfortunately, no viewing party until we're allowed to, but... I know. Saddening. But I'm still gonna watch it by myself, so who cares? <laughs> You're supposed to watch it with me, you bitch. I want to find find a way to hologram yourself over here. Uh, okay. I'll just like stand outside your window. <laughs> you can sit on the roof. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> I'll bring my ladder. <laughs> Alright, and with that, let's go ahead and move on to the actual episode. Yes, let's yeah. do that. So this was kind of a weird subject. And since you were the one who proposed the subject, I'm going to let you explain it. Um, okay, so so this was, was, I thought up this while watching a certain anime. And it just, it got me thinking like, you know we're we're all going through you know tough times right now uh not just that but like we're just getting out of the the winter months which is you know high you know times for when people get like seasonal depression 
Yeah. So so I was thinking like like what what kind of uh, like what characters in anime like show symptoms of depression and like like how is that portrayed? Yeah, and I want to do a slight disclaimer here. Tyler and I are not trained professionals in any form of psychology or any form of medicine. Uh, we cannot diagnose anybody with any mental conditions whatsoever, and this is purely based off speculation or things that we can relate to. Yes. Yes. So I I wanted to put that out there. <laughs> Disclaimer. Asterisk. Yes. <laughs> Just to be safe, because we're making ad revenue now, so. <laughs> Don't want to risk that. Yeah, no, I, I get it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is a subject that I'm actually pretty relatable to, because I have been diagnosed with depression. And for me, it's, I mentioned this before on our uh, What You Should Watch episode about binge shows. Uh, but I tend to find sadder series are kind of the things that get me through like really hard times. So having characters that are also experiencing that is something that I particularly enjoy. But it's very, very different from what people would consider representation. So representation is characters that are put in a situation or put into a group. So that group has some form of media recognition and could also be used to teach audiences about that person's heritage or culture. Uh, with this particular subject, people who do understand like this particular mental condition and want to portray it in series through characters usually do so in a very abstract way since it's something that only really exists inside our heads. And it's not something that we can really compare to other mental states since you can never be in the mind of somebody else. So it's hard to really say it's representation, yeah. in my opinion. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my two cents yeah, on that it's, before. It's, it's kind of more just. Kind of just speculation on our part, being like, hey, yeah. this, this kind of. You know, shows to me. Like, I, I kind of get the feeling. Yeah, exactly. So, also, some artists tend to go as abstract as they can with it, which, to me, is probably one of the more fascinating ways to portray it. Yeah. I I think the best example of that would probably be Devilman Crybaby, where we kind of see the mm -hmm. slow descent into it. Yeah. Um, Devilman Crybaby's very interesting on that. Like, it, it doesn't... Necess like a lot of the symptoms don't don't necessarily show like you you see from uh like the the typical oh like they're they're sad they're they just don't have energy you know like that kind of thing whereas mm -hmm. Devilman crybaby is it's more of a like a a different kind of visual thing yeah exactly like it's not something you could really diagnose with any character but you could kind of dissect and relate to it a bit so, yeah, that that's what I mean by abstract. It's not necessarily like this character could be put down and their symptoms can be listed by a doctor or anything like that. It's just like this is just a mental state. This is how they see the world. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, uh, I have two really good examples, because you told me to think about different examples of this. Okay. And one was, it was kind of hard to pick necessarily one character from it in particular, but each character kind of shows different symptoms of it or different conditions or some of it depression, some of it maybe other mental conditions. And that was Fruits Basket. Mm-hmm. So Yuki and Kyo being the two most obvious in this situation. Yeah. One so being thing- basically outcast by his entire family and then the other, you know, with a different set of circumstances, but still basically has so much pressure on him that it, it just it builds up and kind of shows in in uh develops that way yeah so one of the common themes throughout uh all of the somas and fruits basket is that each of them suffer from some level of post-traumatic stress disorder where with yuki it was his physical abuse with akito and for Kyo, it was basically being blamed for his mother's death, or even his mother's death in general. And you can kind of see this a lot with some of the other characters as well. Each of them have some level of PTSD, but these two really are the ones that shine the most. And you could tell that it manifests in a different way. With Yuki, it's kind of this need to seclude himself and try to break away from all of the expectations and the world that he's been put into and basically accepting the idea that he's never going to be healed or recover from it. And with Kyo, it's this urge to recover from it so bad that it manifests into rage. Yeah. <clears throat> and the common thread between both of them other than their family relation is that Toru is the one who heals both of them. Toru also experiencing what should have been a traumatic moment in her life but kind of brushed away from her mentally. Like she really should be experiencing the same thing that the others are with the death of her mother but she just doesn't. Yeah which is actually really interesting considering her circumstances there. Yeah, like she still she's... gets sad, but it doesn't seem to, like, have the same level of weight on her yeah. as the others. And it's still important to her, too. But it's almost like she's found a way to heal herself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So she kind of acts as this weird beacon for the Somas. For all of them. And all of them are well aware as well that she is the reason why Yuki and Kyo are able to kind of go back to being normal. I mean, whatever normal what is. What is normal, though? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think Fruits Basket, for me, has been such an important series in my life because of this. Because it came out uh, when I was in middle school and was starting to suffer from a lot of these conditions. But was also... Like, trying to figure out who I was at the time. So it, it kind of gave me this idea, like, you can still live your life, you know? Yeah. I think with the new series going even deeper into the Soma's history and actually continuing the series, it definitely plays a lot more into that. And we are definitely going to see the darker parts of the series to come. Uh, yeah, hopefully. 
Yeah. That's that's uh, airing now, isn't it? The second season. Yes, it is, I, and it's been fantastic. I'm gonna need to go catch up on that because I have not been watching it. Yeah, this second season has definitely been stronger than the first, just with a few episodes that have already been out. And I think Hatsuharu has honestly been the character who shined the most for me this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, him, obviously, having some level of, like, bipolar disorder. Yeah, he's, uh... uh that's, that's, he, that, that is an interesting subject. <laughs> <laughs> and we also did get the official confirmation that he is, in fact, bi. In both his white and black form. Excellent. Yes. And we do get to see what happens when he can't control his black form as well. Before, we've just seen him go into these, like, random comedic fits. But we see how actually serious his condition could be. Mm-hmm. So, it also dives a lot into why Yuki cares so much about him and why he cares so much about Yuki as well. So, genuinely, this is been the best season. It's been one of the best shows to watch right now, actually. Oh my. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, was that the show you were thinking of that started this episode, or... Uh, no, the, the, the show I was watching when this subject came to mind was, was actually Charlotte. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Tell me about that, because I have not been watching that. Uh, well, it's 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 done and finished. It's been out for uh, a couple years, I believe. Oh, okay. Well, tell me about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so, so it's like, um, but, uh, like this this one gave me a a good uh, kind of a thought into it, because uh, I felt when when it happened. Oh, I, I wish I could remember his name. I'm gonna Google it here real fast. Yeah, I was gonna say I pulled up the Wikipedia for that exact reason. Yeah. Yeah. I should have done that. <laughs> you had your chance when everything was failing around us, Tyler. I uh, Yeah, for reals. The technical problems will never cease. They never will! <laughs> Uh, okay, so so his name is you. Okay. I don't know why that was so hard for you to remember. <laughs> I don't know either. I'm an idiot, okay? <laughs> is the other character's name me? Uh, no, it's now. Oh. <laughs> uh, so no, it's, um, so, so what made me think of, of, of this is, uh, like, in, in the anime, uh, there's an event happens, uh, his, his sister dies, like, his little sister dies, and mm -hmm. it, it just kind of throws him into this, this, uh, depressive state, and, you know, and, and for me, it was, what was interesting about it was it, it came in stages, so it's like obviously you know when when it happened he was kind of there at the scene and you know there's that first stage of denial it's like no i i you know she can't be dead i'm you know i've got to got to save her and you know trying to pull her out from the rubble basically mhm mm and then you know af after that he he's 
basically just thrown into this this like uh kind of stasis like he's just he he's at his house you know this this depressive state and he's just he's at his house he's eating nothing but ramen in mm-hmm. the dark watching tv and like even when friends come to visit him he's just like i no like i i don't want to deal with you just just go away even to the point of him getting mad at them when when they try to help yeah you know and then uh at a certain point he he ends up just he runs away from from his home and he basically takes all his money from his bank account and spends three days in a an internet hotel where he just watches anime and cries for the whole time basically relatable content (laughs) we've all been there man (laughs) (laughs) exactly uh and and like it it goes on you know to to him like he goes out and you know he he finally leaves the internet cafe because like hey i need food and he he kind of develops this obsession with a a video game like one specific video game at an mm-hmm. arcade and you know it's to to the point of like hey i i need to do this all the time was it and, animal crossing and it's like that's real <laughs> no it was a shooter game oh okay <laughs> <laughs> but yes animal crossing all the time uh but but like that was relatable to me because it's like you know when when you go into these like depressive states and you just kind of when you find one thing that you enjoy you just you kind of obsess over it yeah you know so yeah. so it just it kind of shows like uh there's there's a lot of different stages in you know depression and it's it's not always you know just hey I'm gonna be lethargic or you know and and it's mm-hmm. there's there's more to it yeah and often the reason for that at least from my experience is when you start to obsess over something particular it makes you feel grounded it kind of keeps you it's both an escape from reality but it also reminds you that you are still here and it almost gives you a weird sense of purpose like mm-hmm like tomorrow I'm going to get up and I'm going to beat the next level or I can't relax until I finish this boss fight things like that they're small term goals that also produce endorphins and it just it kind of gives you a reason to get up every day yeah yeah and I'm not saying that that's healthy but no, no, not <laughs> uh, not as, not at all. Um, so disclaimer here, like if <laughs> disclaimer here, uh, if if you do feel like you have symptoms of depression, like we ask you to find help. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's it's not a good experience at all. It could also phys- uh, affect you physically as well, and yeah. also makes you more susceptible to diseases and sickness. So. Yeah, definitely, definitely look into, in the very least, therapy, and we are not therapy. So, (laughs) (laughs) as much as we like trying to make people laugh, that's not good enough. 
Yeah. Do you ever think that maybe somebody would like become super obsessed with like this podcast? Uh, I'm gonna say no. Yeah, I don't think so either. But maybe some at some point we'll become so like good at this that this will be like somebody's like Friday routine. Like they need they're they expect every Friday like time to go wa- listen to Kawaii Cast. Like I let's let's go listen to these losers. Yeah, like I guess that's kind of a goal but yeah like it's weird to think that somebody would ever schedule us into their routine yeah yeah for any reason but other hey, than we're, stefan we're, but we're stefan's <laughs> we are glad for the listeners we do have yeah stefan is uh contractually obligated to listen to us every friday <laughs> <laughs> and tell us when our episodes don't work properly <laughs> yes thank God. he is our producer that is his job uh, yeah, if you guys are following us on Twitter and you guys notice any major mistakes or anything that we can go through and fix as far as, like, audio or anything, please hit us up on Twitter. Uh, don't be abusive or bullies about it, but, yeah, just let us... Uh, feedback is always welcome, and we always take it seriously, so. Yeah. Um, moving on to the show I... My big show that I really wanted to talk about, and this is going to be the one that takes probably the longest I'm gonna try not to drag too much into it and I've talked about the show before uh last time I did actually was on the binge show episode that we did and this is Descending Stories Showa Genroku Rakugo Shinju uh that's a mouthful it is a mouthful which is why I've just been calling it Rakugo no Shinju <laughs> just Rakugo I think most people will get it from there yeah, but if I say just Rakugo and they Google Rakugo, they're going to get the actual Rakugo. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Rakugo is a real thing. So for those of you who do not know what Rakugo is at this point, either because this is your first episode or you just haven't been paying attention, uh, Rakugo is a Japanese theatrical art where the performer is on stage by themselves not moving around or moving about the stage they are sitting on their knees on a pillow the only props they are allowed is a piece of cloth and a fan and they have to entertain the audience with a story where they play all of the characters by themselves and so it's to put it simplistic or very simplistically it's like a very advanced version of like when you go to the library and they read stories to you it's a very advanced version of a one-man show yeah uh, except sometimes a one-man show can just be like stand-up or whatever this is very specifically pre-written stories that they have to act out and so yeah it's just it's storytelling in its purest form mm-hmm. and it's absolutely fantastic watching how they contort their bodies and faces and their voices even to really portray the different characters and I think even if you don't understand Japanese it's just really really entertaining to watch or listen to because sometimes it's hard to believe that it's one person and I think even uh, they use a lot of the same techniques as voice actors when it comes to creating these characters and okay. I've always been fascinated watching voice actors just do what they do so right uh, in this particular case, the story follows the main character, uh, Yakumo Yorakute, 
in particular the eighth generation version of him because in rakugo like many other artistic forms in japan the name gets passed down to the predecessor from the uh, master so it's like a master to apprentice when you inherit the name you become the master just like uh with uh what is it katana blacksmiths yep katana blacksmiths do the same thing uh I want to say Kabuki actors do too, but I'm not 100% sure. But there, there are several yeah. uh, skills of trade where this is a common thing. And a master will usually take on multiple apprentices and pass it down the name down to one of them, but will usually give names to the others so they could still kind of make a career out of it. They just don't have that prestigious name. Yeah. And the main character's name has changed so many times that he even mentions he doesn't even remember what his birth name was. And this is actually very important. So I think the series has probably the most off-putting first episode I've ever watched. Because it starts off with him being basically stalked by a fan who wants to beg him to take him on as an apprentice. And at this point, he had vowed to never take on any apprentices, but for some reason t makes an exception for this guy. And he's curious what he could do. So he brings him into his house, gives him a new name, and introduces him to his foster daughter. And by the end of the first episode, a lot of drama happens, and we find out that his foster daughter hates him and wants to kill him. And so he decides to tell both of them the story about how he murdered her father. Her real father. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that would make me want to kill my foster father, so... Yeah. So the remainder of the first season is just the story from his childhood all the way to when he became the master of his name. And we see that him and the man he supposedly murdered basically grew up as brothers, both apprentices to the previous Yurakute. And we see that this is probably one of the most heartwarming story about two friends ever written, in my opinion. Like, these two are so close. There's one scene in particular uh, during World War II where his master and his friend are both sent off to go entertain the troops during the war. And the reason why he's not invited is because he has a bad leg, which is why he was an apprentice to Rakugo in the first place. And the last night that him and his friend get to spend in the house together, they're both falling asleep in the beds next to each other. And he asks, like, can you tell me you're Rakugo? because I think it's the only thing that would be able to put me to sleep. Kind of insulting, but still a very loving gesture. <laughs> and he falls asleep to the sound of his Rakugo and wakes up to find him gone. And it's such a powerful and heartwarming scene. And it makes you wonder how they went from this to him being the man that would murder him. And we find out that when he say murder, it was more of an accident and I won't spoil too much about how he actually died but he took in his daughter as kind of his own like punishment 
for what he did because he had no interest in having children or anything like that. And then the second season starts and it goes back to modern day and we're following more the story of the daughter and the apprentice at this point. But we do see Yurikute slowly descending into madness as we see that he's struggling to hold on to his mind and mental state and he's being haunted by the ghosts of his past. And what's even more significant is that the reoccurring Rakugo story throughout this whole show is called the uh, Shinigami, which is a story about a man who is invited to a room full of candles by a Shinigami. And he is told that when a candle goes out, then that person dies, the person whose candle it belongs to, and that the Shinigami promises to let the man live if he switches out his candle, which is about to go out, with another candle. But the man struggles so much to change out the candles, he ends up blowing both of them out. And this is like the story that he's absolutely famous for telling. <laughs> and what becomes even the biggest mindfuck ever in any series I've ever seen is when it's actually revealed that he had no involvement in the death of his friend. That the okay. whole thing... The whole thing was a complete accident, and he was actually nowhere near the situation. He wasn't even in the same room. Yet he somehow feels responsible. Yeah. And this was such an important moment in the series to find out, because it makes us realize that the entire first season was just him telling a story. And we don't know how many of the contents of that first season were real things that happened or things that he just imagined in his head or things that he had changed to make himself be painted more as the villain mm -hmm. and I think this is in my opinion how depression works a lot of times you tend to place false memories or moments in your life that explain what happened and when you look back on those moments you think this this is where it all started this is how I became who I am today. This is my burden. This is my sin. See, and see, that's a, a weird thing about, uh, it too. Like, like I've I've read some some studies that talk about like how, uh, if if you recall a certain memory memory more often, you'll you'll remember it better. But like, mm -hmm. with depression, if if you recall a certain memory and you you get you know a detail wrong you're going to start remembering it with that detail wrong, and, and you might even start to believe that that's how it actually happened. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what the situation is, is that he was so traumatized and so burdened by what happened to his friend that he genuinely believed he was the one who murdered him, to the point where that's the story he told. Yeah. And that's the story that we saw. And I just... I've never seen a mental state ever explained in this way before in any form of media. And I just, I don't know, I, I fell so much in love with this series because of that. Not just because of that, there was a lot of things leading up to it that I really loved, but upon like second watching of the series, I'm just like, I could not believe how far back the foreshadowing went on this. Yeah. And is is it one of those things where it's like you go back and watch the series again and you're like, oh shit, this was all the way back in episode two. Yeah. And you really do start to question, like, 
what events actually happened and what events different. There's even, like, a lot of things like uh, him covering up for his master's, like, mistress and uh, even, like, his first love and there's lots of rage and jealousy. And there's one point where he even does kabuki theater, even though, as I mentioned, he has a really bad leg injury and should not have been able to do that. And it really does kind of become this tangled mess of what's real and what's not real. Because all we have to go off of is the incredible story being told by an incredible storyteller. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the reason why Rakugo was the art form chosen for this series. Because what better way to tell a lie than from somebody who's famous for doing it? Yeah. And I just, I don't know, I, I started rewatching it when you first proposed this subject for me. I rewatched <laughs> it, and I just, I have such a high appreciation for the series, and everything about it is so incredible, and there's a lot of, oh my god, moments in the second season, too, that are just, like, not even relating to him, but relating to the other characters, and it, Oh, uh, okay, there's there's so much. <laughs> there's so much. There's so much. <laughs> oh my god, you just don't understand. <laughs> and I think what makes it even better by the end is that he's remembered for being the beautiful storyteller and not for being the liar. And it's very, very much a story of redemption and learning to not only be okay in society, but be okay with yourself. And it helps that his apprentice that I mentioned earlier is actually a former member of the Yakuza who was kind of tricked into becoming a Yakuza member, but now has to bear that tattoo on his back for everybody to see. And I think one of my favorite moments of season two is like, uh, your Kute tells him like that tattoo is not a mark of shame. It's a moment of your past. It's something that is a part of you and who you are. And so his apprentice then goes out and gets the tattoo finished so he can flaunt how beautiful it is. And I, I love that message of acceptance and being okay with your scars. Yeah. And I just, this, this show is so good, you guys. I just, I can't yeah, say enough good um, things about it. I, like <laughs> I, I, I commend the people who can watch it. Um, it's slow paced, you, and like I you, said, you you tried getting me to watch it, and it's it's not that I didn't enjoy it. I, I, it was good. Mm -hmm. I just it was too it was slow paced. It was hard for me to get into. Yeah, and like I said, the first episode is probably one of the weirdest episodes ever, especially when you're going into it blind. But knowing that the framing was a method to basically lie to us for an entire season makes the first episode a lot more enjoyable in my opinion yeah because yeah going into it blind that first episode is rough it's an hour long it doesn't really make sense where it's going with it and then from episode two onwards it's a flashback and we're like why even create this framing device in the first place like you just did this with to fuck with us yeah <laughs> literally and i appreciate it honestly <laughs> So yeah, like I said, it's it's one of those things you almost have to watch twice. Once to get the whole story, and twice to realize that none of that was true. 
Yeah. If only so. we could, you know, go through life twice. <laughs> Once right. to get the sto- story, and then the second time to realize where you fucked up. Yeah, tell your younger self, stop being so cringy. Do not start this anime podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it will follow you for this, the rest of your life. This this will be your life. This is your legacy. Can you really live with that? Eh, I got no shame. <laughs> so yeah, uh, but that was my big show I really wanted to talk about. Uh, were there any other like major examples that you wanted to talk about? Uh, I mean, there's the obvious one of Evangelion. I have not finished Evangelion. Uh, so, so this one's, uh, I know the creator has, he came out and he said, uh, I'm paraphrasing obviously, but it's, it's something along the lines of, like, he, he wanted to, uh, like, when he was going through depression... He wanted to kind of portray some of the the emotions that he had going through it, mm-hmm. and and so you know it's it, it it does show that it's it's not always you know hey get in the robot Shinji you know <laughs> <laughs> it, yes it, it is re- don't lie the always. show's just the show's just a bunch of memes put together and then it's, people die I, not wrong. <laughs> But no, it, it does kind of portray that. It, it shows, like, uh, even in some of the characters. Like, with Shinji, uh, you know, he's... Everyone calls him a pussy, obviously. But, like, he's, he's like, a 14-year-old that's told, hey, you need to do this to save the world. Like, that's an immense amount of pressure. Right. And he breaks down, you know? Like, like that's rough, you know? And, and it even portrays like shows in like Ray where she's she shows more of the the uh what's it called uh the the more stereotype of of being disconnected just just mm-hmm. like showing little interest you know and and look that kind of thing yeah all I really know about Ray is that everybody either like would die for her or is just like she's the worst character. There's no in between. <laughs> uh yes, that was the uh her and Oscar were the OG waifu wars. Yeah. I don't I haven't watched it. I need to sit down and binge watch the DVDs that you gave me because you told me not to watch the Netflix version. I know, I need it. I I want to steal the DVDs from you back so I can watch it and then compare it to the the new movie remakes. Yeah. Uh, Were they remakes? I thought Netflix just redubbed it. Uh, So Netflix redubbed it, uh, Mm -hmm. but there were... There's three movies that... There's going to be a fourth one. But there's Mm -hmm. there's three movies that they go over the, the story over again but it's it's like uh it adds some stuff and it uh obviously new new dubbing whatnot yeah i heard that they but it's like, like remastered cut... it's it's ad- added some stuff cut some stuff yeah i heard they cut the awkward elevator scene 
Uh, I don't know yet, because I haven't watched them. Yeah. And I know the original ending, like, a lot of people were upset about, because I guess there was a tragedy with the studio, and so they never actually got to make the ending that they wanted, so I, so, I heard that was changed. So, so funny thing about that was, yes, that kind of happened, and, and the, the ending is really, it's notorious for being that kind of what-the-fuck-just-happened kind of ending, uh... <laughs> And, and like you said, it was because, like, the, the animation studio basically just ran out of funding. And so mm-hmm. they had to alter the ending. Uh, but then, I guess, because the show became a hit, they they came back and they had to make a... I don't know if it was an OVA or a movie, but it was called The End of Evangelion, where they, they added more to the ending of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> but anyways, so so yeah, it like you know, basically with with Shinji and Rei's are the two main uh portrayals yeah. of, you know, different uh yeah, I, of depression and I like, and like said, I said the I flunked out of anime college and in, didn't finish work. you know, Genesis Evangelion. But from what I <laughs> I know someone had to go and have their their god be a middle school lesbian. Uh, Whereas others of us others of us evolved and had a high school uh, hey, psychopath hey. as their god. Kuelamagi Madoka Magica is not just about magical lesbians. It's also a metaphor for loss. <laughs> and not All the right. Not the meme loss. <laughs> Not the meme loss, no. <laughs> Make that very clear. I mean, you... Mommy sure lost her head, but I don't think it's the same kind of losing your head as we're talking about. No. No. Also, uh, I had a hard time getting into the new uh, ma- or Magica Puella. Puella Magica something. Yeah. Words that don't have Madoka in it. But... <laughs> Uh, I guess that one's based off of the gotcha app, and maybe you have to play the gotcha app to really, really get invested in it, but and we I also enjoyed ne- it. I, I, still I never finished watch, it. Like, I need to watch, like, the last two episodes. But yeah, like, me too. I, I enjoyed it. It just, it didn't have as much sway for me as Madoka. Yeah, we didn't get the big, like, bombshell dropped on us or anything. It, it felt a bit fanservice-y, which a lot of the side stories are... Like, I tried to get invested in the Joan of Arc storyline and couldn't. Mm-hmm. It just didn't go anywhere. And the thing is, everybody was like, oh, the Joan of Arc storyline would be fantastic. Like, what if all these famous historical women were actually magical girls? And that's what drew me in, and uh, it didn't go anywhere. So... Yeah. It was random fan fodder that didn't deliver on what made the series so popular. Yeah. But yeah, I, I do think... Uh, Madoka Magica is more of a metaphor for mourning and loss and denial and all of that stuff as opposed to depression, which is the biggest reason I'm, I didn't want to use it as, as an example here. No, I, I just had to tease you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Haruhi was or not. Uh, well, that's debatable, I guess. Yeah, I know. About it. 
Uh, I know a lot of it is similar to Bunny Girl Senpai, where the whole thing is a very obvious metaphor for puberty. But Yeah, basically she's um, like bored with the world that she's in, and it, it comes out with all sorts of random different shit, and at one point even almost destroying the, the world they're in and recreating it anew. <laughs> You so, know, so basically yes. the same story as Puella Magi Madoka Magica. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hear that show is like completely changes gears like way too fast. But yeah, then again, kinda. what anime doesn't at this point? Fair. And I just went on about an anime that just lies to you for a whole first season, so... Uh, let's let's get an an anime that lies to you for the whole series. At That's the called... end, it's at the end, it's just one big bombshell of like, hey, we were screwing with you the whole time. <laughs> I was gonna say an anime that just lies to you the whole season is called a slice of life. <clears throat> hey, just because I'm not a cute anime girl it doesn't mean that all of my moe anime slice of life bullshit shows lie to me they all lie to you all of them you mean girls don't grab each other's tits no well we do but not for that reason i don't believe you (laughs) also no girl is hoping that you'll notice her literally no girl not a single one Damn. Especially not the one with pink hair. That's okay. I'm not a senpai. <laughs> you're my senpai. Just kidding. You're not. You're really not. Please no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what a weird way to end this theme. But to end this episode... I once again returned to the Twitter polls. This one was more of a question than a poll, but I asked people what, like, what kind of anime do you watch when you are feeling sad or down? Mm-hmm. I wanted to avoid the word depressed because you didn't want to give anything away. Not just that, but also, I don't know. It, that could be defined different ways. Yeah, that's true. So, some of the responses that I got, particularly on Twitter, uh, Gamma Ray replied with, depends on the quote-unquote sad I'm feeling. If it's the kind that I just want to pretend or shove it down, I go for more wholesome things like Violet Evergarden or FMA or My Hero Academia. If I'm in a dark, sad place, I go for something like Gantz. All right. Yeah, and then on the Discord, I had this pulled up a second ago... Uh, Garcat said, I watch things that are that's... nostalgic. Oh, that's, okay, never No, that's, then. that's a different person. I, uh, I, was, Gar- I was like, wait a second here. Yeah. No, no Garcat right. and Gamma Rays are two different people. Uh, Garcat says, I watch things that are nostalgic, reminding me of the good times, but sad that they are over. Yeah, so, that, that's, that's a cop-out answer. Yeah, Garcat completely missed the point of the exercise. I know. <laughs> uh, so so let's hear what you do. Yeah, uh, if you guys want to tweet at us or tell us, like, what kind of anime do you watch when you're feeling upset? 
we will mention you here on the podcast, just like what we did with those two. And I will also be posting up more questions each week. So make sure you guys are checking that out so well, you can participate in these episodes. Well, I meant you. What does Candace listen to? When oh, she is I upset? thought. I thought it was like one of those like and you moments. And you. Uh, <laughs> well, that too. But in this case, I specifically <laughs> meant Candace. Um, very misinterpreted that. Uh, I've mentioned this before, and even at the beginning of this episode. But I like things that are really sad. Like I like things that make me feel like I'm in the same situation, and that it can get better. That I can be, like, there's an escape to all of it. Like, at the end of all things, there is a way to return to the light. And sometimes it doesn't work out that way. And I'm like, oh, shit, all these characters I loved are dead now. But I'm not, so I guess that's a good thing. <laughs> where did life, where did I go wrong? <laughs> yeah, the, the world has not literally ended. It didn't this anime but that's anime and it that also helps I think because it helps me detach myself from that situation and be like you know maybe it's not so bad and I get to move back into reality and then I get to go back to doing my job and drawing and just enjoying things so I think the sadder the better for me yeah there are times when I just can't watch sad anime, and in that situation, I'll either watch something nice or I'll play Animal Crossing. <laughs> but, yeah. Alright. Or I'll stare into the void, or I'll fall down the YouTube wishing, uh, or YouTube well. So, sometimes you just go down the... The, the rabbit hole. The rabbit yeah. hole of YouTube. And... Uh, yeah, and you end up in and, really and weird documentary at, area. And then you end up at 3 a.m. watching a documentary on how cheese is made. No, I wasn't watching that. I was watching a documentary about the British royal family. That's a real thing that happened recently. That's fair. I learned a lot. It starts out with cat videos. It's always <laughs> cat videos. <laughs> no, it started with Animal Crossing. Okay. Follow that trail. I don't think I want to. <laughs> Welcome to a day in the life of my mind. <laughs> uh, uh, so, for me, I am totally, I the kind of person that will just watch sad shit. Like if if I'm in, in a, you know, that kind of mood, I'm just like you know what, put on something sad, make me cry. Tyler doesn't cry unless he's put watching. On, Le- put on Les Mis. Yeah, I was gonna say Les Mis is the only thing that'll make Tyler cry. That is a fact. Uh, just, just replay. Oh, and the, the scene, uh, the going merry scene from the One replay, Piece. the going merry scene and and Ace scene and just on on repeat and yeah, <laughs> watch watch the waterworks come out. Oh, I definitely get desensitized to the A scene. Like, I, that was spoiled for me, and I didn't... I saw I'm like, oh, so that's how it happened. Uh, but the going Mary scene gets to me every time. Oh, yeah. Like. Absolutely. <laughs> going Mary, fuck. I never never thought I'd cry over a goddamn boat. The boat was crying. How did it do that? I know, it was right? a part of the family. They the left thrills. it behind. Yeah. Anyway... <laughs> 
So yeah, make sure you guys are following us on Twitter for our shenanigans. And want to thank you for listening. Yeah. Yeah, go check out the artwork that I did. It's fantastic, guys. I promise. <laughs> uh, with that, we're signing off. Thanks Bye. for listening, guys. Bye.